ladies and gentlemen from Colonial Heights, Virginia, and All Seasons Tabletop Studio, it's The Undiluted Truth with Mike and Ben. Today's episode is public comments and an interview from the Virginia Department of Health monthly scheduled meeting of September, sorry, 2022. Do not forget to like, subscribe, and share. Our podcast email is theundilutedtruth.podcast at gmail.com. We're getting close to acting on our best behavior, I think. Uh, I hope so. I've got to. I've got to. I've got to get better. Mm. Yeah, better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Undiluted Truth. My name is Ben, and without any further delay, we've got some good content for you today. Mm. And let's welcome in our host, Mike. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, I am here, Ben. That's, as you can that's tell, true, and yes. as, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Undiluted Truth. Uh, all of you rock tumblers and truth seekers, if you can. If you've heard this uh, podcast before, you can tell that I have got a little bit of a cold, uh, and I'm actually on the upswing, believe it or not. Boy, it's been a journey. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to even try to uh, figure out what I had, but uh, (laughs) it it was giving me a run for my money. But uh, anyway, uh, back to the... To the episode uh, uh, title and and what we were able to experience uh, the other day, I say the other day, it was an experience. Uh, oh yeah, this was something that uh, we had not done, and we were asked to to come and 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 to be involved, and it, it was a it was an education. Yeah, uh, it, it was parts of it was were painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, just listening to uh, what is going on in in your state. Government when it has when it has to do with health, yeah. And believe me, uh, it, 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 it took just about everything that uh, that I could think of to keep my own mouth closed at some points. And I know that yeah, I know that we, you, we had our moments. <laughs> I know that you experienced the same thing. It was like, are you kidding me? What are these people doing? They're living in a a bubble of of fantasy world mm-hmm. and uh, the past, but uh, nevertheless, I and and I wish we had have been able to record some of that. But uh, yeah, we were specifically there to get recordings of the public comments by those that have been harmed, right. uh, and wanted to bring attention to what's really going on. You know, basically the truth. Yeah, and we were able to do that. So, unfortunately, we we do not have every single uh, speaker's name, right? And I think uh, we looked at it. Most of them will identify themselves, but yeah, but we could uh, we could update the the description of this episode as that's we, true if we find out the names because we may have to contact somebody and get the names of who, right. who was there. And we do we yeah. we know that we're we will be doing at least one more in its entirety and that's Marianne Munt. We'll, we'll mention her right. name Munt M U N D T. Her name she's got a she's got a very stunning and, yeah. and personal story that uh, that doesn't end well but her story needs to be told in yeah. in its entirety, and and we intend to do that. So, 
uh, we will have her on. And after those comments, uh, you will hear an interview that we had with a retired ENT uh, doctor, uh, Nick Chaklis, um, and he is uh, he is currently working with the Century Laboratories. Interesting fellow, but uh, mm-hmm. really good, really good interview and uh, more to come with him. So I expect we may have him on uh, on the show again. So that would be uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he he is an interesting fellow. So well, anyway, with uh, without any further delay, I think we can go ahead and and get right to it. All right, sounds good. Here we go. My name is Mariana Munt. Uh, The hospital protocol killed my husband. On January the 8th, my husband uh, was weak and fell, and I called the rescue squad to assist me to get him up. They recommended that I take him to the hospital. He did not want to go. We have done our homework, and the hospitals were not a safe place to go. They took him anyway. I gave him his cell phone so we could communicate. There was no need to believe that Bud had been exposed to COVID. But when we arrived at the hospital, they did the PCR test and said that he tested positive for COVID. We knew the tests were highly unreliable and expected it to happen at the hospital. We heard stories. The ER doctor called and told me that they were going to give him remdesivir and put him on a ventilator. I immediately replied and said, absolutely not. Bud does not want either of those things for the treatment. The nurse told me that Bud had a UTI. I went over and picked him up and took him home from the hospital. I called the family doctor and got Leviquin for the UTI. However, he likely was exposed to COVID at the hospital because he began developing COVID symptoms. I called America's frontline doctors, and they helped me get ivermectin and also uh, received the monoclonal antibodies on January the 18th. January the 19th, the rescue, I called the rescue again. They took him to the ER, kept him there. They wouldn't let me see him. I could not even talk to him on the phone. The doctors wouldn't speak to me for three days. I was at the hospital every day. I stood in the lobby and waited for them to call me. For three days, the doctors avoided me. I never left the lobby. I called Senator Bryce Reeves and told him what was going on, and the doctors lied when they told him they called me. I had my phone with me the entire time I was in the lobby of the hospital. Reeves finally got them to call me, set up a meeting with the nurses on the floor. I had the foy and living will that clearly stated no remdesivir and no vent. I contacted a doctor from Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, FLCCC, who advised me on all the aspects of the treatment protocol for hospitalized patients. Certain doctors tried to fight everything she advised. Some were willing to help, but other doctors would come back and change it. They gave them the wrong steroids, wrong antibiotics, kept saying it's not on our protocol, the hospital protocol. After battling between hospital doctors on January 26, he was well enough to be moved from the ITCU to the step-down unit where the doctors cut back on his supplements and meds, refused ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. On January 27th, the nurse called me and said he was angry. 
I tried to make arrangements to get him home on oxygen or another hospital, according to the FLCCC doctor's recommendation. I wanted to get him to MCB where we knew his heart doctor, but he progressively got worse to a point where he was having a lot of difficulty breathing and exhausted. They made a deal with me and Bud, saying they would give Bud the meds we were requesting if we would put him on the ventilator. We agreed, and he was put on it for a couple of days. They again refused to follow the FLCC protocol. They followed the hospital protocol instead, which likely included remdesivir, because the next thing they said is he needed to be dialyzed because his kidneys were failing. I went into the ICU to see him, and he was basically dead. He was cold, pale, terribly swollen, and his vent tube was bloody, as if it had, he had been coughing up blood. They called me later and told me they did CPR on him twice, and he did not recover, that he died of a cardiac arrest. I think you want to hear this because this is the result of your policies. This is one example of the chaos created by rigid, inflexible hospital protocols. Doctors are not treating the patient, they are just following protocol. Good afternoon, State Health Commissioner and Board of Health members. My name is Doris Kinnick. As a member of the Virginia Medical Freedom Alliance, I request that the State Health Commissioner and each of you board members participate in our October 1st open public forum hosted by VAMFA. It is your opportunity to start restoring scientific integrity and healing Virginians' shattered trust in their medical establishment. You continue to deny the evidence in the vaccine adverse events reporting system. None of us will ever be okay with the number of deaths and injuries from these COVID shots. These are real people's lives that have been lost and impacted, not just statistics. Here's a visual from the red box summary on open bears, since you don't seem to be aware of theirs. <clears throat> or it's 1.4 million COVID vaccine adverse re events reports worldwide. These injuries are real and horrifying, common, not rare. Yet the massive scope of the harm from the COVID injection is not represented in its VDH advertisements, FAQs, or in the informed consenting process. Did you know that more than 60% of the reports in the world are from the U.S. in the past two and a half years? More than 865,000 Americans have filed adverse events reports related to the jab. This includes 14,438 people who have died after their COVID injections. Let me repeat that. More than 14,000 Americans have died after their injections. 6,000 people suffered a heart attack and almost 9,000 more developed myocarditis or pericarditis. Almost 1,800 pregnant U.S. women miscarried after being jabbed. I could go on and on. These COVID injections are not safe, period. End of discussion. There's no reason to even look at effectiveness <clears throat> if it's not safe. But to add injury to, in injury to injury, this injection is also not effective in preventing transmission or infection with the COVID virus. All this is intolerable for an illness with an average of 99.8% survival rate. We demand a full and transparent investigation into the injuries and deaths caused by the COVID injection. We demand that the COVID injections be immediately halted in Virginia. Again, I urge you to participate in the October 1st forum to present your evidence supporting the COVID emergency orders and regulations that you have put forth. Thank you. Hello, I'm Tricia Stahl from Matthews County, a retired RN rendering NICU to critical care nursing and Virginia Medical Freedom Alliance member advocating for all Virginians in support of medical freedom. I personally lost three dear hospitalized friends, two in Centera and one at Riverside due to improper care, including standardized COVID care protocols promulgated by the CDC and NIH. It is heartbreaking to accept that these precious friends died needlessly due to rigid adherence to delay treatment with novel, risky, and expensive patent drugs. Early treatment with safe and inexpensive off-patent 
medications and nutritional therapies that are proven effective might have avoided hospitalization and death entirely. For example, I and my 90-year-old mother, diabetic mother, contracted COVID June 25 of this year, responded quickly without hospitalization, thanks to having ivermectin available at symptom onset. This is a critical time in Virginia to support medical freedom for all Virginians. That includes stopping public health bureaucrats, hospital systems, and pharmacies from using chilling intimidation and retribution, including loss of licensure or employment, to essentially prohibit doctors from rendering individualized ethical patient care based on their professional experience. It also chills pharmacists from actually filling doctors' valid prescriptions. VAMFA supports the unrestricted availability of and access to all preventative and treatment options by all patients and doctors in Virginia. The declaration of so-called public health emergency does not give government the authority to interfere with the private doctor-patient relationship. It does not permit government to violate the fundamental and inalienable human right of personal informed choice about bodily autonomy. I implore each of you to please participate in or at least attend our statewide COVID management forum coming up October the 1st from 1 to 4 at Life Church here in Mechanicsville. It is one way to help fulfill your VDH mission to be responsive to we the people of Virginia. I pray you will read Robert Kennedy's The Real Anthony Fauci, at least the first 30 pages, exposing big pharma's control over all specs of our medical lives. Lastly, I challenge each of you to research the World Economic Forum Plan for Population Control. And this Charles Schwab is the director, and I challenge each of you to please look at this. Thank you for your time and your challenge to research. Good morning. I'm Susan Franz, a retired nurse from Williamsburg. I participated in the June 29th VDH webinar described as an open forum conversation on COVID-19 therapeutics. It was only after several of us were suddenly dropped from the call for asking questions about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that we were made aware of a guidance document for these webinars which state only EUA COVID-19 treatments were to be discussed. They also failed to answer multiple questions we asked about safety issues regarding some of the novel drugs. I'm wearing black because I mourn for those who have been harmed by harmful VDH policies. Dozens of peer-reviewed studies clearly show that aggressive prevention and early outpatient treatment could have prevented at least 75 to 80 percent of the hospitalizations and deaths attributed to COVID. If VDH would enthusiastically promote or just permit the widespread use of those proven, proven medications, there would likely be no need for a vaccine or expensive new investigational drugs, particularly ones that are neither safe nor effective. Why is VDH still aggressively promoting the risky COVID injections when there are far more um, effective and inexpensive medications that have been used safely for decades in millions of people. VDH has violated doctors' legal right to prescribe an FDA-approved medication for any reason they deem appropriate in their professional judgment. Why is the Virginia healthcare system intimidating and persecuting doctors with loss of licensure or employment for having a different scientific viewpoint about the best way to treat individual patients? It appears that a CDH or CDC-NIH uni narrative or protocol controls what VDH is allowed to do or not do. This government tyranny of the experts is endangering the health of Virginians. Despite the CDC insisting that the vaccine is safe and effective, has VDH or this board done your own critical and independent analysis of the voluminous adverse event information, which I have right here? Please, who may I give this to? Who, who can I give these um, documents to? 
critical information. Hello, my name is Pamela Burnham. I'm a nurse with more than 20 years of experience, primarily in critical care. I've been an independent nurse con consultant educator since 2015, with a primary focus on cancer patients of specialized programs of research centers. I'm a mom of three and a grandmother. I've never been anti-vax, and I was compliant with all of the hospital health care requirements until 2015. However, after extensive review of vaccine research, I find myself full of regret for having vaccinated my children. And the so-called COVID vaccine is not even a traditional vaccine, but rather a largely untested experimental genetic injection, the first of its kind with unknown long-term risks. Early on during the COVID crisis, many of us nurses cued in on the lies and propaganda being told to the public about the one-size-fits-all unit treatment narrative promulgated by the NIH, CDC, and FDA. We knew very early on that hundreds of thousands of people would die if we didn't do something, and we found ways to keep up with and share information. Our groups formed a network of actively involved individuals, individuals who helped thousands of COVID-affected people, especially here in Virginia. We developed and shared promising treatment protocols using repurposed FDA-approved medications and nutritional therapies that have evolved into the highly regarded medical freedom organizations, American Frontline Doctors and Frontline COVID Critical Care, or FLCCC. We developed a network of researchers, doctors, pharmacists, nurses, rescuers, attorneys, and exemption filing experts who were and still are all working to help as many people as possible by sharing the truth to counter the public health system's uni-narrative. I help answer questions for people from all over the world who are experiencing horrible side effects from the shots with repeated debilitating illnesses, heartbreaking family tension and rejection, and work-related difficulties, functional activity breakdown, isolation, etc., from the draconian lockdowns, mandates, social restrictions, violation or suspension of our fundamental human and constitutional rights, and freedom and brutal censorship and in intimidation of scientific or medical viewpoint that dissents from the unanarrative. Today, I want to share with you some of the truth that we believe would help many Americans make informed decisions and would have saved many lives had they known. It's a very short two minutes. Okay, uh, all of you rock tumblers and truth seekers out there, I am here at the VDH uh, meeting, and we're just after the meeting. Finished with the public comment, I am here with Nick Chaklis. Uh, and, of course, they only give you two minutes, Nick. And, of course, I, I, I was in there listening, and it is hard as heck to get any kind of continuity in just two minutes. I would propose that they need to lengthen that time or at least have an opportunity for public discourse to be able to interact with some of these officials. But that's neither here nor there. We're here to give you, Nick, a little bit of opportunity to share what you really should be sharing in there. And I'm sure it is uh, for some people out there information to to either warn or just share, uh, to inform, and that's what we're all about. We're out uh, all about turning over rocks and finding truth and sharing it. So sh share a little bit uh, about your story and um, maybe your background a little bit, and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay. Well, I, thank you for the introduction. I um, Again, my name is Nick Chaklis. I've been in the healthcare industry since 1977. Prior to that, working in an operating room for a few years as a surgical technician, uh, performing in uh, mostly ear, nose, and throat surgical uh, procedures. Okay. Um, but one of the things that I'm, I'm very, very um, um, in tune with is aseptic technique, okay? <laughs> which, is, which is what we're trained to be as a, as a scrub nurse, scrub technician. Mm -hmm. We have to be very, very careful about contamination or the lack thereof during surgeries, okay? So I'm well in tune with aseptic technique. 
I'm well in tune with the ear, nose, and throat anatomy, the ear, nose, and throat physiology, okay? But let me, let me digress for a second here. <laughs> um, one of the things that I was, I'm proud of after listening to that group inside, okay, um, I came this close, and I know we're on audio only, but I came this close from standing up and saying, shame on you to the entire board. I was shame on them. Okay, they really don't have, they don't have a right to cut off people that have something very important to share. I, I totally agree. That was one of the first things that I noticed as well. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can get that changed. I don't know, but uh, without having to get physical, you know, because I have seen that on uh, some newscasts before. But, uh, no, that, that point is well taken. Uh, they don't give you any time. They do not. They do not. And one of the things that I'd like to express um, that is truly going on in, 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 our, in our world is that we are living in a post-antibiotic era, okay? Post-antibiotics. The pharmaceutical companies are not making any more antibiotics, okay? They're, and it's not only post-antibiotic, it's post-antimicrobial. Antimicrobials are not working anymore, okay? The things that we think we're doing by uh, spraying certain chemicals on our countertops and on our hands. We think that they're doing what we think they're supposed to be doing, but they're not. We have evolved to the point where, and the bacteria and the germs and the viruses have, have mutated to the point where antimicrobials don't affect them anymore. Okay? So we're, we have to change what we're doing. We have to change our thinking. And personal hygiene, even, is so very much important and, and let me just say this, I know we don't have a lot of time, but if you think about our skin, okay, we bathe our skin every day, right? We wash, we wash. I hope so. We wash. We wash <laughs> our body, we wash our hand, we wash every square inch of our skin. We don't wash right inside the nasal opening, which is also skin. Mm -hmm. This is where they're swabbing these people to determine whether or not there happens to be a COVID virus sitting in the, in the anterior nares, mm -hmm. that it's called, okay? Well, nasal hygiene is not part of our, our everyday routine. We wash, like I said, our hands. How many times do we wash our hands during the day? But we don't wash our nose. So what I'm, what I'm endeavoring to do is to bring awareness, mm. okay, of just how dirty the inside of the front of the nose is, mm -hmm. okay? <laughs> and that there is a way to, in fact, clean that area daily, okay? Mm. And eliminate not only the germs from affecting our, ourselves, but also spreading them to other people. Amen. Because if, if think about the right nostril and the left nostril. If Grand Central Station, okay, had a welcome mat that everybody that walked into Grand Central Station had to wipe their feet on that welcome mat before they went into Grand Central Station, and the left nostril had a welcome mat, was, was, was Penn Station, okay? And everybody that went into Penn Station on a daily basis had to wipe their feet on that welcome mat. That welcome mat would be pretty dirty. I would think so. Right? So uh, what, what I'm going to demonstrate when we, when we are able to do this on a video yes. is I can quantify just how dirty the front of the nose is. Mm. And you will see it in black and white a pre- and post-quantitative measurement of just how dirty the front of the nose is. Okay, so you, you mentioned a, a couple of things that sparked at least three things. 
in my mind. The first thing is, is I want to ask you, and then I'll ask the other two questions is, so we obviously need to clean the nose. And this is what this, you know, this thing is, is that, you know, the, the micro uh, biology and, and, and clean, cleaning is not really sufficient anymore. No more. And we, you're not the first person that, uh, that I have heard this from, that even the viruses harbor up in the nose. And that should be an area that we treat to actually eradicate the virus. Makes sense, doesn't it? it, it well, it, you would think so. So should the, you know, first of all, how often should we do this in the nose? And I'll, I'll add this to it. I've also heard a certain type of iodine is, is good to add to this cleansing uh, uh, technique. Well, we'll get into various products to use mm-hmm. for the cleaning of the, of the nose. Um, but one thing is, um, one thing is for certain, the nose is the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of the human body. We don't pay attention to the nose. Mm. We don't realize the important function that the nose has in maintaining our health. Mm-hmm. Okay, the nose is a filter. Okay, the nose has the capability of of decontaminating the air and making the air clean and pure before it goes into our lungs, mm-hmm. which is where everybody that died from COVID died from lung disease. Yeah, that's right. It's okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and if we, to make, if we understood, and, and think about this, you know what, what percentage of people are mouth breathers compared to nose breathers? Mm. And we think it's okay. Okay, so my nose is clogged, I'll just be a mouth breather. Well, sorry, that doesn't work. The nose was put there for a reason. The nose is a very important physiologic function. Okay, that sparks another thing. I had a, a, a 73-year-old Chinese man that was a fitness trainer, and he encouraged the entire time you're working out, you are, you are going to get more energy and, and uh, help your cardio so much more by closing your mouth and breathing through your nose. No question. He says, do that. And, and I was trying that. And I actually, uh, as, as I was getting my, my uh, uh, blood oxygen level checked, the more I breathe through my nose, that level seemed to rise. No and before I knew it, I was at 99%. Of course, you're deep breathing. You're actually mm-hmm. breathing, taking in the air through your nose and filling the distal portions of your lung, okay? And, you're, and if you hold it in, that increases the amount of nitrous oxide in your blood, okay, which is very beneficial. But people don't understand the importance of deep breathing and how bad shallow breathing is, okay? Well, you've got to understand it's important to breathe through your nose mm-hmm. and also throughout the day, deep breathe. Okay, cool. Deep breathing exercises. Very good. One other question uh, to see if see if you know or have had any experience in this. The PCR test uh, that is gathered, that test is gathered through the nose, and I've heard some uh, some horror stories or just some uh, uh, some information that just refutes this you know this type of test, this PCR test. And and the main the main thing is, is it was that they're running it for too many cycles. Mm-hmm. And I could imagine, you know, if you're complaining, uh, comparing it to 
the bus station in Grand Central Station, I could only imagine after you've run it so many times, who knows what you could pick up. But could you speak to that a bit? Well, I'm not too familiar with, with exactly what these tests do, okay? I mean, okay. it's, yeah. I, I, what I will tell you is that, <clears throat> interesting story, my wife and I both went to get a PCR test when they were being offered to the community out at the Virginia's fairgrounds, okay? Mm-hmm. And she went to one station, I went to another station. Well, when she was at her station, I noticed that the nurse, who was in full protective gear, was just swabbing the anterior part of her nose, okay, the front of the nostril. And then when I was looking at the young lady who was actually going to swab me, I said, excuse me, I'll take that and I'll show you the where it's supposed to be taken from. Because <laughs> of where they're squ- swabbing my wife, they're only touching skin. Mm-hmm. So I took the swab and I put it along the floor of my nose all the way to the back where the tip of the swab was touching my posterior pharyngeal wall, mm-hmm. where I was actually hitting mucosa, yes. not skin. I was hitting the mucous membranes. Mm-hmm. And everybody, she, she called over a bunch of her colleagues and saying, look at this. This is where we should be swabbing these people from. Not going up in here where everybody complains. You know, <laughs> this is coming out my eye. You know, <laughs> no, you got to go straight back along the floor of the nose and enter the important part of the nose, which is the back of the nose. Okay. Well, very good. So basically so, what you're saying is we can do some serious prevention of no any question. of these viruses and, and infections if we regularly would just rinse, whether it's a neti pot or whether it's some sort of rinsing type of treatment in the nose. Yes. Nasal hygiene. They, they already do nasal decolonization in the hospital environment. If you Google nasal decolonization, you'll see that patients in a hospital, they routinely decolonize the nose because MRSA, staph, all these, are, these bad germs, they're there in the nose. And the, the patients that have been nasally decolonized in a hospital environment have a much lower incidence of a surgical site infection, okay, because those germs are gone. So nasal decolonization, we can, we can do it ourselves. Well, that makes that makes perfect sense, and it and it it sounds like it, it is very practical, and I like things that just make makes sense. sense. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, sense. all right. Uh, anything else to follow up on with that, uh, Nick? Well, there is there is something else that I'm 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 looking into is that everybody on this planet has acid reflux. <laughs> okay, everybody. And the, the bad thing about acid reflux, everybody thinks it's just heartburn. Well, it's really not. When that acid comes up from the stomach and enters the back of the throat, it can also go into the lung. And what's going into the lung is really not acid. It's pepsin. Pepsin is a digestive enzyme in the stomach that we produce to break down proteins during the digestive process. Well, when that pepsin gets refluxed up with a wave of acid juice, and then and sits in the back of our throat and gets aspirated into our lungs, we end up digesting ourselves. Mm. Okay? The inflammatory effect that takes place in the lung mucosa because there's stomach pepsin there is astronomical. Okay? So Mike, I'm I'm suggesting that we need to understand this and and consider pepsin as as it also an a, a contributory issue to these people with bad lung disease that end up expiring. Well, that also makes sense. And do you have any uh, types of treatments for for this reflux? I have heard a a variety of 
types of reflux. But I have recently heard, and I say recently, over the last really about a year mm -hmm. of a product that works wonders. And it's a natural product, believe it or not, go figure. You know, there's all kinds of these things out there. But it's simply aloe, liquid aloe. And you could get it either from the plant or you can go to the store and buy aloe, 99.9% .9 aloe vera, mm -hmm. and drink, say, a, a, a ounce or two before every meal. And then you could drink a little bit afterwards. Perfectly fine. You can't mm -hmm. drink too much of it. It might give you a little bit of, uh, you know, some bathroom trips. But uh, other than that, I have heard that is really works wonders on that reflux and helps the digestive. I don't know if you've heard of that, but if you've heard of anything else uh, to share with us? Well, I've spoken to a very, very um, uh, connected and well-educated PhD who's currently working on a um, reformulization of an existing pharmaceutical that denatures pepsin in the airway. So if we can eliminate pepsin... Okay, by a, a, either a systemic administration of this new pharmaceutical, which he's currently getting FDA approval for, uh, or localized, where it can be it can be breathed into the lung. Okay, mm -hmm. through like a, through a, um, a nebulizer type inhaler, inhaler, and if we eliminate pepsin in the in the lung, the inflammatory process goes away, and the, the lung the inflammation okay. uh, is what's really causing a lot of the problems. Okay. Well, very, working on that. Well, very good. All right. Well, you're just a bevy of information, and I certainly appreciated uh, all of your knowledge and, 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 and sharing. And I think the one thing that maybe we could take away from here is, uh, well, maybe after you've tried a couple of these things and, and pay attention to some of these other areas of the body, especially the nose, we can say, well, maybe one day the nose will actually know. So <laughs> okay. we appreciate it. Thanks again, Nick, uh, and, uh, and, and, and enjoy, enjoy having you, and we'll, have you, we'll, we'll be in touch and uh, get you on again. But thanks so much again, and uh, uh, God bless and, and Godspeed. Happy to do it. Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay. We once again thank Nick Chaklis for that and uh, the opportunity to connect with him as well as uh, others here. This, is, uh, this, has been a, this has been a real experience. So. Anyway, uh, we we hope to be able to rub elbows with these folks again and yeah. uh, and gather some more information. As painful as it was, uh, Ben, um, in in some aspects, uh, we 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 made it through. This is true, uh, but yeah. you know, for me, we gather some really good information, whether it right. be good, bad, or indifferent. I believe that uh, what we can walk away saying is we heard. We heard some facts. Yeah. Now, yeah. we'll say facts, but uh, we, we, we heard some things during the meeting that may not have been 100% factual. But if people wanted to ask us, what does your Department of Health believe or how are they operating based on X, Y, and Z? Right. We can tell them factually this is what they believe, and that—that's what I was getting at. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, we made some good friends and oh, that, met some nice people there. That was uh, that, that was yeah, that, that was excellent. That was powerful. To just yeah. the the bonding of uh, like-minded people. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that, that was goes good. that goes a long way. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up here with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you again for this opportunity, and we thank you again for opening up these doors and and 
uh, creating opportunities for individuals to share their stories that truth can be heard. We ask for special blessings on all of those who spoke out today and, and ask that you provide for them the spiritual, the mental, and physical strength that, uh, that they need to continue to stand for you and for truth. And Lord, our, our prayer is that you intervene in the lives or the minds and the hearts of those that were on that board that were in that meeting. May you intervene in as many as possible that soon they will start to see the error of their ways and stand themselves. So we thank you again for this platform. We thank you again for all of those around the world that are standing for truth. And as we part ways, as always, we ask and pray that every intent of our thought be pure. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to join us again every Tuesday and Thursday on The Undiluted Truth. And remember, rock tumblers, with all of your might, continue to diligently seek truth. God bless.